Hello and welcome to the Tell Me If You Can podcast, a podcast where I have the honor of listening to and unpacking stories of different women. My name is Ogechi, your host, and today's guest is Tiffany Ward. Tiffany is an educator, instructional coach, wife, and one of my dear friends. In today's episode, Tiffany talks about her passion of how she blends her love of technology and education to promote educational equity in the classroom. Tiffany also opens up and shares how the birth of her educational nonprofit came at a time of devastation as she and her husband struggled to have children of their own. Let's take a listen to Tiffany and her story. Hello, Tiffany. Welcome to the podcast. For those of us that don't know who you are, can you give us a quick bio, who you are, what you do, and where you're from? Hi. Yes, absolutely. Um, Thank you, first off, for just inviting me to be here and just to talk. It's just such an honor, and I'm really excited for just all your new endeavors. Um, So I am Tiffany. I am currently a resident of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I am originally actually from outside of Chicago. I came here in 2006 so that I could attend the University of Pittsburgh. And it's funny because I originally wanted to come here. um, Well, originally, I just I didn't have any idea really where I wanted to go to college. So I just picked random places outside of Illinois and landed in Pittsburgh. I think um, I always tell people that Pennsylvania was my favorite. You remember those tests that we had to take in elementary school, like you had to fill in the United States map? Yes. So Pennsylvania was my favorite because it was a box. So I was like, like, I'm getting the point on that one. So I was like, let's apply to Pittsburgh. And so I applied and they offered a scholarship. And because I've always been um, fairly frugal, I was like, yes, I'm not spending money. So let's go. Um, So hence, here I am. My frugalness led me here. um, And I've been here ever since. So I started, I went to grad school there as well. I went for elementary education and I started uh, my first job working with the primary grades. And it's funny because the age of students that I've worked with as I've gotten older has gotten older progressively as well. So um, I started off my career with like kindergarten, first grade, and then continued like to the middle grades. And I am currently working as an instructional coach um, in a middle school. So it's funny. It's just gone from like the kids are just getting older as I get older, which is pretty cool. It's just awesome to see um, just kind of like the different turn of events that have occurred. I think that's really cool. It's like you have progressed and each grade is a different learning experience and way to teach and educate. So it's not like it ever gets um, super boring. So you said you didn't really have an idea of where you wanted to go to school. You picked Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania because you liked the box shape. (laughs) Did you always know that you wanted a career in education though? No, actually. So when I first was applying to schools, I was straight pre-med. I was like, I'm going to go to school to be a doctor. 
So I always tell people this story that I saw a sign, like it was a literal sign on Pitt's campus. I think this was sophomore year because at first I was going pre-med, then I think I wanted to be, I don't know, like a dietitian or something random. Then um, there was a sign for Jumpstart, which is part of the AmeriCorps program, and it had statistics on it. And so um, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was about the number of words that students or kids hear or learn by the time they're like age three is significantly higher if you are a child that has whose family has more money. And being from where I'm from, I'm from Evanston, Illinois, and it's a fantastic place. And everybody just had so many opportunities, at least in my opinion, for a good education, whether you were black, white, Asian, whether you had a whole bunch of money or not a lot, you had opportunities. Like you had the chance to experience good teachers. Well, I did. In my experience, I had fantastic teachers who were doing culturally responsive teaching before it was even called that. Uh, so I just, you know, it was weird because it was kind of like growing up in the in a bubble, but like a very diverse bubble full of opportunities. So I just assumed that you know, oh, it's like that everywhere. Like everybody's got opportunities. Um, and so just looking at that sign, it just hit me. And I'm like, so the amount of just words that you're exposed to as a small child is significantly less if you don't have money. Like that's not fair. It doesn't make sense. And that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, I just feel like one's education shouldn't and one's opportunities should not be stifled or taken away because of the color of your skin or how much money you have. So that hit me and I was like, cool. So I'm going to join this work in education and make sure that, it, you know, it's not going down like that anymore. Like that's ridiculous. So um, that is what drew me into education is just really wanting to join the fight in just giving kids opportunities. Like I just remember loving to learn as a kid, loving to learn from my parents and, um, you know, just from my friends, like we just had these study groups that were fun. And um, I just always, I loved learning. And my teachers just made it so that we saw ourselves reflected in the curriculum, which I didn't realize what a blessing that is until like, I'm just mm. grateful for my teachers every single day. Um, and I'm gonna have to share this with them because <laughs> I swear I get emotional thinking about it. Cause I'm like, they really gave us the opportunities of a lifetime. And it's just crazy to me that that's not what every child gets. So, uh, I know right now there's a lot of talk about educational equity. And I think there's definitely a lot behind it. You hear the word a lot, which, um, is great. But I think there has to be some more defining of what that actually means and what that looks like and who's being invited to the table when we are making plans to establish that equity. Yes. Okay. So you've said a lot. Let me try to unpack <laughs> some of this. Thanks. No, you said so many great things. First of all, shout out to that marketing person for Jumpstart because whatever stat, whoever decided on those stats, they really, well, with, in marketing, they want to have an emotional response, right? That's the goal, whether it's like envy, desire, anger, jealousy, whatever. And for you, the response was empathy and also just 
of like it lit a fire in you and you saw an injustice just by those simple stats that were posted and obviously you did your research and understood more about what it would take to get into the field of education but I love how your great experience wasn't enough it was so great that you chose to hope that you can bring that to other students somebody might have had a poor experience and wanted to not have that experience for other kids that could be their motivator but you were in that bubble and you recognize that you were in that bubble but you you also recognize that every student deserves to have these amazing memories when they look back at their education and I love how you said that you saw yourself reflected in your education and so that has to do with curriculum curriculum development the speakers probably that were brought in and the things and themes that were discussed, and that is not the norm. And in some cases, that what used to maybe be the norm is getting worse and worse, depending on you know how the school systems have chosen to prioritize their education. But I I like how you were talking about educational equity, and we actually had a guest that um, I just interviewed in that. So yes. that's the whole focus of her master's program, and she she said something similar that not many people that. Um, look like the students that they're trying to advocate for have a say in how educational equity can even come about. But realistically, when you first finished your master's program, you weren't tackling educational equity. You were you were probably just taking a job. So how did you choose your first job and then move towards this focus on maybe the macro system that is educational equity? So my first job it's just amazing to see how things have worked out because I have a friend. She's actually a very dear friend of mine. I actually met her through my program at Pitt. It was the master's program of education. And we actually had a choice of where we got to student teach. So I did some heavy research and was like, okay, what schools around here are serving underserved areas or areas that are more deserving of opportunities that they are not receiving. I don't like to really use the word underserved just because I feel like that puts people in a box, but um, Mm -hmm. you know, who's serving black and brown students who are serving um, students who might not have like a million dollar salary in their home. So I came across a school while I was doing my research and I was like, man, this mission statement is amazing. I really feel like I can align well with this place. Like this sounds great. So I interviewed with her for the student teaching position. And then what they did at Pitt was they matched you. So if you, so you would rank the schools that you were interested in and then they would rank you as well. And then you would get matched. So I ended up getting matched with this school, which is super awesome. And so landing there was, it did actually end up being my dream. And I learned so much more than I could have ever imagined in the nine or so years that I spent um, at the two different schools. Like I really just developed me as an educator and as a person. And I met some amazing people and just the kids and the families were just so awesome. So so I did actually end up landing somewhere that I wanted to be at first. And it was like 
better than I could have imagined. So I was really thankful for that. That is so awesome. And you, you said you started off teaching the younger grades and then progressing to older grades. Um, what then, well, first I want to ask, what were some moments in those first few years at that first school or even in student teaching that um, really stick with you still today? I think, oh, there's just so many, but um, so generally speaking, I would say just the excitement of being there every day was like a huge learning curve. I'm a person who likes to learn and I like to set goals and I always like a challenge. So just the daily challenge of the opportunity to learn something new was just really fantastic. Um, as far as specific experiences, this woman came to mind pretty much right away and it hit me because I thought a lot about the variety of just the variety of humans that you come across and like the ideas of blackness as they manifest in education. So what I mean is I had, we had an instance with a student and um, there was, there were, there was a staff member, I guess, at the school who ended up calling child youth services, I guess, on this family. And it wasn't me, but I had the student in my class. So um, the parent thought that it was me who called and sent a very long email saying, you know, I think that essentially she was like, you're a bougie black girl, <laughs> is what she was saying. And she was wow. like, I have my degree. I know you're judging me. You think that I'm this woman with no education and too many children and like went off. And I was like, wow. Like, I mean, I had never said or thought any of those things about her, but it just was like a light to me because I was like, how are some families viewing educators, not just all educators, but black ones too. Like, how are we? And then I had to think about myself, like, how am I presenting myself? Like, am I presenting myself in a way where I am like being divisive or presenting myself as like better than? Like that certainly is never ever my intention um, at any point. And so it just really shined a light on the fact that a lot of the parents that I have come across do feel stereotyped and they feel like they are put, and I'm not, not generalizing, but some that I have come across, you know, they are upset and they feel like, you know, I'm being judged as a bad parent who doesn't care about my kid's education. And unfortunately, being on the other side of it, you do hear people say that about parents a lot. Um, you know, wow. I wrote for my project that I'm going to discuss, I wrote a blog that was basically addressing the language that's you hear a lot. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but well, you know, educators will say, these kids don't care, or these parents don't care. And I'm, that's just so far from the truth, because we all have very different definitions as individuals, not even as black versus white, but as individual mm -hmm. human beings, we have different definitions of caring about school. So 
that experience and that conversation has just really shaped me over the years because I've wanted to just make sure that parents feel heard and that students feel heard and that they don't feel like it's one of those things where we're swooping in to save them, but partnering with them. I think that's another thing that my teachers did a really good job of growing up. They weren't like, you could tell, you know, they, they weren't feeling sorry for me. Like, oh, poor black girl, I guess we better teach her. Like, no, they were like, hey, we care about you. We're gonna teach you because you're a human being. So just wanting to make sure that I was replicating that uh, just became, was just very super important to me. So um, she has since we had developed a relationship because I ended up being able to teach her child again a few years later, which was amazing. And so it was just cool to see that come full circle and for her to become someone that she felt like she could trust me and I could trust her. And so it was nice just seeing that kind of come to um, come full circle. And it was just like the relationship was redeemed from there. So. Yes. And I, I mean, first of all, shout out to your empathy because you totally could have lashed out and I mean, you're such a kind person, so probably not, but someone else could have <laughs> said like, um, excuse me, who do you think you are or whatever, but you were very um, reflective and you tried to see it from her perspective and, you know, you challenge yourself. And I think sometimes when we receive negative feedback or reactions, we want to be combative or defensive, but Sometimes if someone reacts negatively to you, yes, most of those reactions has something to do with them, but you perhaps could have played a role or maybe mm-hmm. even you mimicked the behavior of someone that has harmed them. So you mm-hmm. may never have harmed them, but something about you or what you might represent has mimics or reminds them or triggers a moment where they actually have been harmed. Um, that that feeling didn't come out of thin air. And I think mm-hmm. when I've talked with parents of, of students of color, depending on their, their type of school that they're at, and when I've done my community organizing at schools, I've had conversations with parents where they're so frustrated and you might've been the 10th teacher that they've encountered and maybe six out of 10 of them have been rude or had some sort of microaggression experience with them. And so it was easier for her to assume the worst than to recreate the, you know, start from the beginning with you in a positive way. But I'm happy it came full circle and she became, she realized that you were actually a partner and not an enemy in her child's education. Yeah, yeah. It was just really awesome to see just it become something that was fruitful as opposed to detrimental, you know. How do you feel when you hear those, when when you think of, when you said these people or those parents don't care and sometimes it's coming from either bias, unconscious bias, or it's coming from um, maybe they have had parents that didn't care or like you said, their definition of care is so different. Some people are dealing with their version of caring is like you have a place to stay and you have a table to do your homework on and this is what I can provide for you and I'm actually doing my best. And someone else's version might be, being a room mom or something and coming and doing extra time in the classroom. Um, What do you say when you experience those or you witness those conversations amongst other teachers and educators? I think it's changed over time. I think my, my feelings have started with confusion. They've kind of gone from like confusion 
to anger to like inquisitive. So at first, when I first started teaching and I would hear comments like that, it was almost kind of like I was very naive because I was like, are people really like that? And then I was like, no, no, no. Because you know, you do that thing where you try to give people the benefit and you're like, are they really being offensive? Am I being sensitive? When it's like, yes, they are being offensive. So at first, I think my feelings were confusion. And because of that, looking back, I'm frustrated with myself and I've had to learn to forgive myself because in some instances at first I said nothing because Mm -hmm. I was either shocked or naive. So early on, I didn't say anything. And then I think it became charged into anger where I was, you know, speaking out and kind of having these conversations with people and saying like, why are you here? Essentially, like you are here teaching black kids and your feelings, not even that comment, like about these kids. But in addition, I'm like, you sound like you don't like them. So I'm not quite sure why you're here. So I mean, my words to them were kind of like, why don't you go somewhere else? (laughs) And I think um, after that, I think after my anger became like the inquisitive phase where, you know, just kind of asking people, you know, is it, is it everyone that doesn't care? Like, is it all the parents? Is it all the students? Because it's not, and you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, well, no, it's not everybody. And I'm like, right, it's not everyone. And you find, you'll find varying degrees of behavior in parents, no matter what they look like. You might have some parents who seem visually, according to what you define as caring, who seem like they don't care, but that doesn't just happen in one community. I think a lot of times the assumption is that, oh, you know, these kids in this, you know, coded, predominantly black community don't care when you know they do (laughs) and so I think my feelings have definitely changed it still really upsets me but I know that I can't just stay in that place of anger or else you can't move forward and I can't just expect everyone to understand right away because not everybody came from the same bubble as I did and you know I don't know everything that there I'm you know ignorant in a lot of ways as well but I think now I'm trying to just open up discussions. Like, what do you mean? Or tell me an example. Like, when did that happen? Or just, you know, just trying to get to the root of the statement because I think, you know, if a bias bias is implicit, sometimes people really are not seeing it until you drill down and you ask, like, what, just tell me more about, tell me more about that because I might be misconstruing it as well. They might not mean black kids, you know, like I could have misinterpreted. So just trying to ask questions instead of assuming, I think right now in the society that we're in, we're doing a lot of assuming, including me. And there's more assumptions and blaming than asking questions. So I think if, if more people were to ask more questions and be willing just to get into conversations, which is not easy. I think more progress would be made. Again, it's not easy, but we've gone so long with not talking about it. And here we are. Exactly. And I feel like sometimes when, when I talk about um, bias and microaggressions, 
when you force someone that might be doing that, those, those negative comments to further explain, sometimes they catch themselves and realize that they've spun a web around themselves. And, um, so many people have not asked them to elaborate. And sometimes you're just like, you know, that they're saying something wrong, but you want them to elaborate so they can hear that they're saying something wrong mm-hmm. or that what they're saying isn't, this isn't coming off the way they may want it to come off. Mm-hmm. But um, also just by inserting yourself in a way, not being silent, because for a lot of people, silent is agreeing. So if they don't right. hear a challenge or a question, they're going to go on and on and on thinking that what they think and say is fine. Um, and also knowing that perhaps there's someone else that's like you that was naive. And if you and now being a more seasoned educator, if I heard someone say like, um, what do you mean by that? Or who are you, who exactly are you talking about? They might feel then further emboldened to insert themselves the next time, or at least know that, okay, everybody, like you said, everybody isn't like this. This isn't the environment of the school. This person is probably the exception to what it's like. And I can feel like I can come to Tiffany now if I mm-hmm. have a question or concern about what I've been hearing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think sometimes when people are told to like say something, they think that they have to like engage in this huge debate. And it's like, I don't know everything about these topics. So how am I supposed to engage in a debate? But you said it so simply, like they could just ask mm-hmm. for, 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 for clarification and re- and like, let that person know that this isn't fact what you said, and this isn't, I'm not f- fully accepting it, but I'm also not coming at you as a person. I need to make you feel like this needs to be investigated more and you need to talk more deeply about it. And maybe they'll check themselves, um, which is great. (laughs) It's great when that happens. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I didn't have to do this. I know. It's like, Oh, you you came to your senses. Great. So, okay. So now you're an instructional Sorry, can you repeat coach. the title? I don't want to get yeah. your title wrong. Oh, no, that's okay. It's, it's, an, it's an instructional coach, and that's still a very new role as of, like, it'll, it'll be a year in January. Yay! Awesome. What does it entail? So what it entails is basically I help with coaching teachers with instructional practices you're basically like a partner um some people see it as kind of like consulting it's not really because you are uh, it's very collaborative and you're coming it's like a partnership so you're partnering alongside with teachers to help them develop their practice and thankfully i don't have like a huge load of people so it's good because i can still get acclimated to the role and i can also just really personalize what people need. I feel like I just, I've been a person who really likes to share ideas. I love technology and like educational technology and new teaching practices. I swear I was like always trying something new, like (laughs) probably every week. And so I'm, I'm definitely an idea sharer and I just like to help people genuinely. And I like to see just what people's goals are for their classrooms. And I like to see what kids' goals are and like what they want from school to try to match, you know, what does a 
what does your teacher have goals for for you all and for themselves and what do you what experience do you want to have in school and how can we make that for you so it's pretty cool because it's kind of like you are a liaison for everybody so it does entail teacher training it entails co-teaching with teachers um you know if, if anyone ever wants you to model a lesson you can do that um and that's fun to do just because i do miss teaching and it is just like a really awesome it's a cool opportunity because you do get to it's a leadership role but you do get to come alongside and assist with the actual teaching itself so so that's pretty cool it's my first full-time leadership role and so i'm again i'm learning a lot every single day again and i I've been a person that always does enjoy a new challenge. So, so I'm really enjoying it. And I love the people that I work with, which is good. Um, it's just a great, it's just been an, an, it came at the right time. Yeah. Well, first of all, I feel like this is probably, I mean, pandemic is horrible, but yes. um, for someone that loves new technology and educational technology, this is probably the time for you to input some of the things that you researched and discovered for yourself into practice at, in this new position. So how has the pandemic and COVID affected your job and also affected the teachers that you work with? I think that, so it, I mean, A, it was a learning curve just in person. And then it was like, just kidding, we're not going back to school for the rest of the year. So we had to all learn quick together. And I think the big challenge for me is that I've never taught virtually before. So they are definitely the experts. And it's like, I'm learning alongside them. And, and it's never one of those um, things where it's like, I'm the person who knows everything like at all, like in any instance, COVID or not. But I think that COVID kind of forced us all into a shock. Like, uh, I guess we had all better, um, I don't know, get on something and one working together because it, it was, it's been really, really challenging. And I think it's been hard. I think what was hardest for me and a lot of people at first was, you know, nobody planned for this. So you can't blame anyone, but like, you know, come March, um, and then, you know, you had April, a little bit of time that passed and then we began virtual learning. Like districts don't plan for that because you don't know what's coming. So therefore there were a lot of students who, you know, places, schools tried their absolute best. I, I think, I, you know, you know, I don't know, cause I'm not in the seats of those who are making the decisions at the top, but, um, I like to assume good intentions. So there were several students who did not have technology at the end of last year. So it was a few months of mm. nothing. And I think it was incredibly disheartening for the teachers and for me, because we were like, we have no, we can't educate these kids. Like we sent, there were packets of work that were sent home, but I think the hardest part was not being able to talk with them face to face, to see their feelings on their face, to be able to say, you know, Hey, what's going on? Is there something that you need? Like some, some kids you couldn't get a hold of and the resources were not theirs. And then it was upsetting to me again, to see, you know, kids in this school district, like, Computers were taken care of, boom, they started. They're probably progressing fine. Whereas, yes. again, it's that opportunity gap. Like they didn't have technology at first. This year, yes. But 
Um, you know, our communities are still the ones that I um, have been involved with the most. There's still, there would have been opportunity gaps just regardless. And then you add COVID on top of it. And then the lack of technology last year, it becomes upsetting and just disheartening. And, but I also on the flip side saw a lot of motivation and a lot of willingness for people to just move forward and figure it out. I think it's just cause I'm lucky and I, <laughs> I got landed in a good position <laughs> with positive people, which is good. Cause that's not oh, all. But I mean, that's the key. That's kind of how you have to survive. No mm-hmm. one planned for a pandemic to happen. And I, I mean, for so many years, people were probably speaking about the technology gaps and the inequity as it relates to educational technology and access to those resources that students in different districts or schools had or didn't have. And mm-hmm. for sure that this brought like a huge spotlight to that because in order to educate, you had to have access to a device. And right. so if you were talking, you had to hop to it. And any delay was a delay in education and depending on the grades where it's so key to moving forward, either in high school or middle school, that that delay was for some students a little bit detrimental. But also I work in a school and I know that some students thrive being virtual mm-hmm. for whatever yep. reason, like loved it. And some yep. students, they needed that extra support and the school is an emotional place for them where they can emotionally grow and thrive. So mm-hmm. it depends on the student and the teacher. But like you said, if you have learned nothing this pandemic, it's that we have to be as positive as we can and also as creative as we can. I'm yes. like obsessed with TikTok and like I think everybody was during the pen the lockdown portion in the summer. But I I've stumbled upon a lot of teacher TikTok. And seeing yes. so many creative ways <laughs> that teachers have been like making virtual learning fun and exciting. And I'm just like, okay, so these are people that have taken this challenge and ran with it rather than mm-hmm. like just complaining because it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And right. we're seeing that even now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 2020 for sure was and will be in the history books as a huge pivotal year for um, so many people. But I feel like um, we've had, like, if you look back at your time when you went to college, 2006, leaving home was a pivotal year, and then starting that first position, and then you got married. So, you know, we that's a pivotal moment. And um, 2018 for me was a pivotal year because that was the year that I got married. I left a job that I was super unhappy with Uh and really started to focus on my faith a lot more and figure out how I can incorporate that into my life. And so for you, 2018 was also a pivotal year because that's when you kind of shifted in your job, Uh your job duties and took more leadership roles. But also that change, it was a a year that changed you um, in your family. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So during that time, I, well, first off, I was starting to like, speaking of COVID two years ago, I started creating kind of this list of ideas. I don't know exactly where they came from, but I kept just hearing 
not a voice, but like wherever I would go, whatever podcast or whatever I was listening to was like entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. And I was kind of like, I don't know anything about business, but so I had this list of things in my phone that essentially related around educational equity and bridging gaps between communities and um, all sorts of things, but they didn't make any sense. And I was like, I can't even describe this to somebody if I wanted to start a business because I don't have the words. Like I had, I had all of the ideas just kind of like on one of those sticky note apps on my phone, but it was kind of like, I was like, I can't even put this in words. Like this is not necessary, but it didn't, when I reread the list, it didn't make sense until COVID. So 2018 was sort of the time. It's funny because it's been two years of me having this compiled list of random stuff, <laughs> um, but it now makes sense. And I've been able to kind of like dive into that more now. But during that year, you know, I've always been a person who was like, I'm looking for new challenges and just like something new. Like I'm not, like, I'm always looking to learn something or do something else. That's cool. So 2018 or so, we were like, my husband and I we were like, yeah, like, let's start a family. And I'm like, cool, we got this. Like, anything that you work at, like, in my mind, I'm like, anything that you work at, you get. Like, when I was in grade school and high school and college, it would be like, oh, you got to be on this report. No, it's not going down like that. I am going to get an A. So I would work really hard to try to get my A. And... um you know, just like with these business ventures, I didn't know where they were going to go, but I kept them because I knew it was going to go somewhere. And in my head, I'm like, hey, if I work hard enough, like, cool, I got it. So, but when we started trying for our family, it was kind of like, you know, I was like, oh, you know, like I'm doing everything right. I've have all the right apps. Like I'm healthy. I'm working out. Like, this is great. I know how to do this. <laughs> and it very quickly, you know, a couple months passed and it's kind of like, you know what, it takes people a while. And then took a little bit more months and then kind of like looking online, they were like, if it's more than a year, you need to see a doctor. And we were like, mm, it's, it's like approaching that year mark. And, you know, again, in my mind, I thought, you know, we've, again, if you try, you get what you worked for. And in this instance, I was like, we're trying and I'm not seeing like the result of, I don't know if labor is the right word, but I'm not seeing the result of the effort that we are putting in. So um, that year, you know, I'm crazy, just like in alignment with all my crazy ideas for like work-wise uh, was when we did find out that we are not essentially what we were told is that we were not able, we would not be able to start our family without some type of medical intervention. So that, you know, threw me for a loop because I, I guess you just, you never see it coming. And I've always been a person who has welcomed 
challenges. Like I've mentioned a lot of times in this episode, I'm always like, yes, I'm gonna conquer this new thing. Kind of like moving to Pittsburgh. I was like, I don't know anybody in Pittsburgh, but I'm going to figure it out. And I did, um, you know, not in like a uh, arrogant type of way, but I'm just like, I like, I see a goal, I want it and I'm going for it. And I'm gonna try as hard as I can to get it. And in this instance, it was kind of like, mm-mm, sis, like, you're not getting what you want. So um, we did go through, first we went to a, we started to see some specialists and um, the first round I was like very positive and I was like, in my head, I was like, we did everything right. So therefore we should earn what we worked for because we did everything mm -hmm. right. Again, I was like putting that pressure on myself. And so the first time around, I was so sure I was like, yes, like this worked. I conquered the battle and I can tell everybody that we conquered this battle together. It's over with. We're going to have a baby. Um, so the first time failed. That was very humbling and a just definitely a challenge to just like my spirit, my faith, my everything. Um, and then the second time around we tried was successful. And so we found out last November, actually the day after Thanksgiving, um, it wasn't expected. Um, you know, we had had like our medical treatments and things like that. And they called and they were like, Oh, you know, congratulations. Like you are pregnant. And we we're like, wow, like that's really awesome. And then we weren't in Actually, it was January around the time where I started my new position was when I was like a couple days in and they were like, there is not a heartbeat. So that was especially challenging to me because I was like, we worked so hard. We went through all of this stuff. And this was on, I mean, this is like probably for another podcast episode, but we had been through so much together, my husband and I, that we had had to, and just external factors that we had gone through mm -hmm. together that like this, like just various losses. And like, it seemed like it was just constant something, always something, but, um, you know, we were always able to get through things together, which has been the most amazing part of it. But, you know, that loss was like, again, like the, <laughs> just my attitude during that time was so bad. And I just was like, again, I was like, we worked so hard for this. Like we spent money, we invested time and we had like this hope. Um, so unfortunately that didn't work out. And so there was the loss and then we tried again this summer and then it failed again. So it's just kind of like, um, we've tried this treatment now three times and it's kind of looking like a question mark. So um, all that to say, like the range of emotions have just been very wild. And, you know, like with hormones and treatment, it's compounded, but still, I mean, like I felt just feelings that I didn't even know that I had, but in that um, you know, it's just been interesting because like seeing the parallel of how, like, like when I was talking to you about doing this episode, I was kind of like, man, these things are two totally unrelated things, like entrepreneurial journeys and work and but they're like, related. They're so related. Yes, they are. They are, and it's all one thing. Like, and I'm starting to see like I had so much hope in like I still don't know how business works I still have all of my ideas and I think 
I'm like, I have no idea how it's going to happen, but I know that something's gonna happen. There's gonna be bumps in the road, but something's gonna happen. But then, you know, with this journey of infertility, I have not had that same attitude. And I think if I had the same attitude about working and like new endeavors and like taking on my new position that I love and keeping that new position while trying to open a business and not knowing how any of it is going to work out, but still having hope that it's going to, like, I have really, I've really been giving up hope on this journey. And I've always been a person that's very positive and I've always been like, cool, like we're going to push through and truly like, thank God for my husband because <laughs> God knew what he was doing when he put us together. Cause he was like, you would love this man, sis, this man's going to balance you out. Um, and he is going to assist you with literally everything. So, um, he has been the one who has kept me hopeful. Um, and it's very, and it's not like, you know, sometimes you have those people coming alongside you and they're like telling you these very cliche things, like everything mm -hmm. happens for a reason. And everyone says things. Oh my gosh. Honestly, yeah. I, <laughs> I never hear it again. It's too soon. <laughs> I agree. But he just gave me this hope in a way that was very humble. Um, you know, he said, the first few times you were very hopeful and the last few times you have not been. And that really takes a toll on your body and could change the outcome, but said it very gracefully in a way where it wasn't like he was coming down on me at all, but he was like, Hey, like, you know, it's okay to be hopeful. And I was like, wow. Okay. So like hope is a choice and I can yes. choose. Like I maybe didn't feel hopeful on my own, but I was like, he's hopeful and like, it's going to be our family. So therefore, like, I can't just be selfish and sit in this space of a lack of hope just because I want to, like, I'm not saying don't feel all the feelings, like, yes, feel all the feelings, but I'm like, he's hopeful. So it's not fair for me to not be. So if anything, it's like, you know, you hear like love always hopes in the Bible. And I'm like, I never really... Um, it's like one of those verses that you hear a lot. And so you don't really internalize it, but I'm like, okay, so if love always hopes, I adore my husband, but I need to be showing love by hoping for him, like hoping on his behalf because he is hopeful. And so therefore I should be able to match that. And I need to have that same attitude as I do with entrepreneurship. Like, you know, I don't know what the journey is going to look like. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going to try a couple of things, ask for help. And at the end, I know that something good is going to happen. So um, I'm just trying to roll with that. It's a lot easier said than done, but I oh, think yeah. that it's been um, what has been keeping me afloat along with Brett just being a fantastic human being to be married to. <laughs> well, yes, because this is a challenge. And sometimes I feel like it is easier to have hope in certain areas of your life and so, you know, if, if you're looking for a new job or if you are starting a new business endeavor and you can, you seem like you can surrender that, you know, that process to God and surrender it. And some might say like, well, you know, 
this will happen. If it's meant to be, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to things that are very intimate and personal, especially as a woman, you are like your chemistry and your biology and everything that is, you know, womanhood and all of the organs that you have suffered all these periods for since middle school or whatever. And you're, to- you're told like the kind of, like you said, the reward is to bring a child into the world and you can't control that and you Uh do everything you can to possibly try to control it. Um, And then to surrender hope because hope is also a surrender. It's a Uh choice. Like it's like trust, but it requires the surrender and, and to do that when it's something that's so intimate and that's so um, intertwined to your identity as a wife and a woman Uh is so incredibly hard and I know your husband could never understand that because he hasn't gone through all of those hormones like you have but for him to take up that torch of hope when it that light for you had diminished or was very very small is a key whether you're dealing with infertility or you're dealing with loss or chronic illness or anything that is such an intimate pain that mm-hmm. um great now I'm gonna cry but oh. some, the beauty, the beauty of marriage and the beauty of partnership, whether you're married or not, if you don't think you can go through this with that person, dump them immediately. This uh-huh. is my like, relationship advice for anyone listening. If yes. you have a doubt in your mind that you cannot go through the trenches of any sort of trauma, loss, illness, whatever, with someone, then they are not the person for you. I remember one of my brothers, um, I think it was like a friend or a client. She was, um, he used to do personal training and um, I think, I think it was a friend. I can't remember. I don't want to spill her business, but she had gone through um, job loss, like a job loss, which so many thousands and thousands of people have lost their jobs in this pandemic because of this pandemic and her husband, so she experienced depression. Like she lost her job. That's terrible. And, you know, whatever emotions come out of that are valid emotions. He was just like, mm, um, I'm out. Like, you're, you're sad. I'm out. And I was just, that stuck with me. And it, it has always stuck with me while I was dating and thinking of someone. If I don't think that I can go into war with you emotionally, uh-huh. spiritually, and, like, really know that I have someone by my side that will be with me mm-hmm. I of course have to do the work like you had to start to reestablish hope for yourself you couldn't just stay in your hopelessness mm-hmm. but he kept up that torch for you if you don't think you have that in someone then that is that's something you need to work on because yes. that is life and this year has taught that for so many people how many people thought that they had a partner that could really like really really like right we say i say ride or die but i mean Mm -hmm. that's what ride or die (laughs) right ride or die really means that to me if you don't have a ride or die and you experience job loss or illness or all three because of the pandemic how many people have realized that this this person that they were with was not really the best person for them or how many people realize Mm -hmm. that they had to step it up right yeah no one trains you to deal with infertility or tragedy or loss. And mm-hmm. you said that you experienced a lot of that 
in this swarm together. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a testament to the strength that you both have, the faith that you both have, and that combination together. Mm-hmm. What are some lessons you learned, um, not just in your marriage, but also with people that were in your support system? What are some lessons that you've learned in this journey? I think that I've definitely learned because our support system is serious. Like that's one thing that I was like, wow, like people really want to come alongside us. And that's been amazing. It's been seeing, it's awesome seeing like my support circle and his support circle, like merge into one. Mm -hmm. And I'm, both of us are just so appreciative of the family and the friends that we have um, who have just really been there for us over the years, whether it's just like to listen or to call or, you know, drop off food or we've just had so many people that, so it showed me just the, the magnitude of kindness that people have. I think there's a lot of lessons (laughs) that I've learned. Another was definitely humility because I feel like I truly with all of these thoughts that I think that in the past where I thought that I could just, you know, kind of like navigate any challenge, that's, Mm -hmm. it's really not always the case. And it's prideful thinking to assume that we can just get what we want by trying. I think I saw something, it was like from Elevation Church and it was like, you cannot get some things in your life you cannot get by trying, but by trusting. And Mm. so I put that on a sticky note and was like, oh yes, because I, it was just very humbling that I cannot just try for everything. And I just kind of have to trust that it is going to happen at some point or just trust that the best is to come at the right time so yes yeah that's definitely been um really really helpful to me and then also humbling in that I have had moments in this journey where I was like very spiritual and praying and I was like okay I'm gonna like read the bible see what it has to say about this um turns out there's a lot but or but then there were also have been moments and i've never felt like this in my life where i was like i don't want to believe in anything Mm. and the feeling that i had um of just not wanting to believe in anything or hope in anything i felt like a little bit of power in that because I was like, I need to control something and I need somebody to blame. So therefore I'm not going to believe in anything. Like I'm not going to believe in God. I'm just going to believe in nothing. Like, but that was just a very, it's a very uncomfortable feeling to me because I've relied on faith to direct me in the right path for a lot of things. Um, And, but I've realized that in this, in the times that, I have totally chosen to believe in nothing. I've had like the most divine experiences, um, which was very, very interesting. So I could tell you a quick story about that if you'd like. (laughs) Yes. Well, what you're saying, it reminds me of some of my favorite, um, not necessarily believing in nothing, but what they experience is often called, well, is called spiritual desolation you feel so far away from God, right? 
and mm-hmm. a lot of or like you feel like you it's just like a desert spiritual desert almost like you you're thirsting and you can never quench that thirst and for mm-hmm. some people rather than sitting in that they it's it is a little easier and that's part of the human condition to reject that discomfort and then go into like the nothingness but mm-hmm. it sounds like you actually stayed in that even though you call it nothing because there's there can be fruit that comes from spiritual desolation and i mm-hmm. like being catholic i look to a lot of saints and there's so many even mother Teresa. i mean the mother mm-hmm. Teresa experienced spiritual desolation and great like thirst and longing and she wrote about it and mm-hmm. so um there is there is it's really maybe this is a cliche phrase that some people don't like but there is beauty in suffering and I truly believe it because I would not be who I am if I didn't experience some of that beauty in the suffering but also when you're when you were talking I was thinking of a vision of a landscape of mountains walk with me here (laughs) what I was gonna say was even crazier so go ahead (laughs) so there are mountains and you're hiking and so in this year, you're like making progress in your job. You start this new job and you're trying these these treatments. So you conquered a small mountain, but there's still greater mountains to conquer. And mm-hmm. and in in sometimes when you're continuing on this mountainscape, you see valleys and peaks and valleys and peaks. But mm-hmm. to keep going along, you have to endure those valleys. And so for some people it might be easier just to like stay there or turn away, but Mm -hmm. you are in this valley while still progressing forward through this landscape. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's a rough, it's a rough time, but I, I know that you're so blessed to have an amazing support system. I don't want you to forget your story that you were going to tell about the, the fruits that came from your um, feeling of nothingness. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned mountains, because I feel like everything that I've kind of heard in these seasons have been very much a result of me sitting in nature. So Mm. um, I had a day where I was like, I was just so angry. And I was like, I don't know how to express this anger. Like, I don't know who to like, we, we can't like, my husband and I, we can't take it out on anybody. So I just was like, boiling with this rage and I'm like I'm not like an angry person so it was very uncomfortable so I was like I am I was like I I was just struggling with the I guess the suffering you know and the fact that it was it just seemed to be so much compounding like and you know on top of the infertility we'd have various losses like my husband lost his mom that I was close to and um and we've had like parents that have gone in and out of um, treatments for cancer. So it's just been like a lot of stuff for us. So mm-hmm. just providing some background for listeners, like we've had a lot of things. So, um, so just in this space of anger this summer and disbelief that I'm like, I can't believe we had to do this like process again. And then it failed. Like I'm over this. Like I just didn't have the words. So I went outside. Um, well, before I went outside, I, it was almost like my thoughts were cut off. So we live in the woods, not in the woods, but like amongst the woods, I guess. (laughs) My husband and I bought a shack in the woods. (laughs) So our- what you need to do, Tiffany. (laughs) So 
we are surrounded by woods on the majority um, behind our house. So um, I was just feeling these feelings of anger and I was like, I'm gonna go outside. And like when I was outside, I heard like we had, I, don't, I still don't know what they were. I think they were coyotes. Um, Cause I think we, I mean, we have them over here and that's what I was told that they were. So it literally sounded like something was being mauled. Like these oh were insane. And I was like imagining the worst. And I was like, cause we have so many animals around. Um, like there's mm -hmm. deer and there's turkeys and there's like stuff I've never seen before. And so I was like, oh my goodness, there's like, 50 coyotes mauling a deer like there's and I, I, just the situations that I was imagining in my head were like out of control and I was like what's happening I was like I can't do anything about it like I can't help whatever's down there and I'm never gonna know what's happening like and actually interestingly it was occurring in a valley because like we're on top of the hill and then there's woods and then there's like so I knew that there was something happening interesting that you said valleys now because it's kind of making yeah. some connections so down in this valley there were like sounds coming up from it and I was like panicking more so because I didn't know what was down there and I just went I'm one of those people who wants to know everything so it was making me crazy that I didn't know what it was so bear with me um, so I'm like sitting outside and I didn't hear like an audible voice, but it was almost like a voice that was like, it was too smart for it to come from me. Like I couldn't have come up with this mm -hmm. on my own. So I just heard this phrase that was like, stop worrying about what's down below. Like um, she, it was like, just worry about the trees that are in front of you. Cause there was like a, you know, we live in the woods. And so there yeah. were trees, like just, there were trees in front of me, but it was like this, you know, again, not like an audible voice, but it was like, you're so worried about what's beyond the woods, like just focus on the beauty that's in front of you. And there was beauty in front of me. It was like the, the sun was starting to go down and the stars were starting to come out. And it was like the, um, it was like sunset and it was still summertime. So it was like beautiful outside. But here I was freaking out that I couldn't figure out what the heck was happening in that valley. Um, but just hearing, you know, just focus on the beauty in front of you. I was like, oh yeah. So I think that's something that I'm kind of repetitively working on. Like there is a lot of beauty in front of me. Um, yeah. you know, my husband and I have just a great time just living and existing together every day. Like that in itself is beautiful. Like Yes. just relish in that beauty like that's amazing that's wonderful like you know I'm, a lot of couples are like really not happy with each other I'm sure during COVID yo uh, <laughs> realized that they didn't like their first they don't really like their spouse or partner or whoever because um they have to be like when we were on lockdown lockdown I for sure got on my husband's nerves I'm not gonna lie <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. Hey, you know, but yeah. So like the beauty that you have together and what you described is is so beautiful. And so sometimes you know it's the the folk the the focus on the thirst and not on what you what you have had. So it's like mm. looking looking at an empty cup but forgetting that you were able to drink from that cup not too right. long ago. So right. um, just being being able to see the moments of joy, of joy. And I know that 
for a lot of people, nature and just that escape from either their home or workplace, even mm-hmm. if it's just sitting in your backyard or balcony and looking at your in, in like looking at your surroundings can really recenter and allow you to think more deeply. And I love sometimes the moments when I get the best sunsets or responses from God, I'm like, is God even listening to me? I'm just talking and I have not gotten anything. And he sends like sunset or beautiful Mm -hmm. landscape or something. For me, nature, I'm not even like an outdoorsy person. But nature is one of the ways that I experience God deeply and also through other people. And so it's either beautiful sunset that just like pauses me completely or just a random encounter with someone and you're just like, okay, so I see you, Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit. (laughs) This random lady telling me to like, you know, it'll be okay, baby girl. Right, right. You're like, who are you? But that's cool. <laughs> this profound message, or even like the kids that I work with, they'll say something, and I'm just like, you don't understand how like I needed to hear that. But I'm, yes. I'm not gonna cry in front of you, seventh grader. But thank you. For right, this. right. Yeah, yeah. It's just so interesting how that happens, and I do think I've experienced a lot. Like, and it's been in my moments where. I don't know if it's like bouts of temporary atheism where I like have experienced God the most. Um, God is calling you back. Yeah, he wants yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes in that yearning, you're you're in a space where you can receive him. Sometimes when we everything's good, you know, you know, you have your life together, everything's flowing perfectly. That that like pride, right? It, like is a shield that can make it harder for us to experience and hear God. And so when everything's stripped away, we can't hear the noise of the world and we have to, sometimes we have to focus in on what God is calling for us. But you're also receptive of it too. You haven't shut out your heart uh, or your your mind to what he has to say. So uh, think focusing on the positive um, what are some new and exciting things you talked about your business that are happening for you? So I think right now, all of these business ventures have taken off in a way that I've not expected. So it started off um, in obviously April around the school shutdowns. And my mom actually inspired me to do it because she was sending out, she she coaches Head Start preschool mm-hmm. teachers. So she started sending out um, like art kits to these families. And I was like, oh, cool. Like I'm gonna start something like that too. And so that's kind of where it began and that's just where it started. And then it just kind of like snowballed into becoming more very quickly. Um, So I've been able to like partner with some different organizations who, um, so essentially, so my project is called Pittsburgh Village Project. And the, the reason why I called it village was because, you know, you hear it takes a village, but there are so many people and you know, you hear, you know, a lot about, um, you know, if you, if you're a person who doesn't know too much about Pittsburgh, you're like, I'm still learning this as well. Like the inequities are deep, like the racial Mm -hmm. inequities are so serious and I think this was on one of the um episodes that um that I had listened to 
of yours previously with one of your guests, but I'm like, it's so serious here. And, but there are a lot of really creative people who are working to make it better. But I think that one thing that is missing are just amplifying the voices of the community, at least in my experience. They're probably there. I know that there are a lot of organizations that are working towards the same thing. So now just trying to essentially mobilize everyone in the same direction, but not forget who it is that we're serving. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's easy for outsiders to try to tell a community like, hey, you need this. Let us provide you with these things, um, which is crazy. It's kind of like you're trying to, it's, a, it's almost as if you were trying to market a new deodorant and you don't ask the consumers what smells they like. So you're giving them something crazy because you didn't need it. <laughs> so I don't know why I thought about deodorant, but anyway, so um, it's, a lot of times the voices of the community are not heard. And I think about my teachers all the time and how they just made us feel like we, they made us feel as though we were represented in the curriculum, but they also um, taught it to us in a way that we felt like it was useful. And that's what I want. Like there are a lot of like really cool, like STEM, STEAM things that are happening, which is awesome. And, um, you know, I'm super down with that. But um, a lot of times there just isn't, there's like misaligning. Like I'm personally passionate about project-based learning, which is a lot of what my project entails, like designing a curriculum for. But I know as a teacher, sometimes I kind of viewed it as like this fluffy extra thing that wasn't actually challenging kids when indeed it was. And there's so much of focus on just in the system on test scores. And I'm like, okay, so we can train kids to take a test all day, but are they going to know, like what's ultimately going to stick with them is the experience. So like, when did you use those fractions to double the recipe? in class or when you know just applicable things or like using what they're learning in school to change their community or just change their house it doesn't even have to be anything like wide scale although it can be sky's the limit but um it could be just something small again like using fractions to cook or space plants in a garden um just things that you can use so just seeing that project grow and i still i'm like i have no idea what i'm doing (laughs) it's like i do but i don't but being able to accept the help and then in some ways too i've been able to partner with ideas for my husband because he's in the same field so um just being able to like ask him for ideas and like even partner on some ideas i'm like that is so interesting like there are just so many reasons that you just see over time why like and not just work related but why your spouse has been like divinely chosen for you as your spouse because it's like you just see so many parts of your life just coming together so that's been just the project itself has been pretty exciting right now and again it's like i don't know what's going to happen next but Um, I'm willing to accept whatever those steps are and I'm still really enjoying my job. Um, So being able to do both of those things and continue to do both of those things in tandem, again, I don't know what that's going to look like because it is a lot of time. Like I plan on keeping my full-time job um, on top of this, 
but it's like you never know where it's gonna go and it's just exciting because it's like people have been taking a chance on me that I don't even know and even people that I do know like they're they're like believing in me when I'm kind of like oh still figuring it out (laughs) but it's cool just being able to feel believed in and supported so um I would definitely just say that's a high and then um of course just this COVID season is like a hot hot mess but I'm um just really thankful that I have my husband and our families and our friends because um just that time that he and I spend together every day is like so wonderful to me um and it just it's great like just being able to like end the night and like hug and be just happy to have each other it's just it's just like a daily rose a daily happy thing so oh that's so that's so beautiful and i love how like well you just seem so like free talking and like just calm and easygoing and happy when you're talking about it you you said like I don't know what I'm doing but you do you do know what you're doing and um I think that it's just gonna organically grow and as you anything that's like community-based and project-based it always evolves it's never the first formulation is not what it's gonna look like five years down the road and I love that you still love your job and have this like passion project that is growing and I can't wait to see how it, it evolves in the process. Um, I did want to say if anyone wanted to learn a little bit more about inequities that exist in Pittsburgh, go ahead and check out episode 15 with Ashley yes. Gomez. And she has done community organizing and she actually served on the school board in Pittsburgh. So she has a little bit of that insight as well. So go ahead and check out that episode. But this is the part of the program that I call Roses and Thorns. And you kind of spoke about some roses, so you can skip over the rose if you want to. But a rose is a high point of your week, and a thorn is maybe a bump along the way or a valley along the way. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I think a rose is just like, you know, despite all of the challenges and things that, you know, we're still um just in like a challenging season as far as this um battle and just trying to figure out if how and if our family's going to begin i'm not going to i shouldn't say if i shouldn't say if i'm being hopeful when our family will begin um although that's been challenging just still every day being able to find joy together is my rose um I mean, just being able to sit together at night and like watch a show on Netflix is like, it seems so simple, but that time is just so valuable to me. And we do it all the time, but it's like still like a highlight of the week and everything still feels very even keel. Like, despite the fact that like, yes, this is still a challenge for us. Like, it's still a good week. Like, I'm like, I'm like, hey, this is a blessing. Like, I still enjoy my job. Like, I, um, you know, we still have a great time together when whenever work is over and we still get to do work together at home. Like I'm upstairs, he's downstairs. Like there's just a lot to be thankful for. So I think just um, remembering to be grateful and just having just just an even keel week, I'm thankful for. Cause you don't realize how evenly things are going until they're not. So I'm thankful for the evenness of this week. Mm-hmm. 
that's I mean, that's such an underrated rose though, because with so much craziness, sometimes the consistent calm moments that you can look forward to every day or every week have been like before you might take it for granted but now you really really appreciate it and like you said you guys have gone through so much and so those moments together are really precious and I think they make it even more precious um and for me I think I don't think I really appreciated quality time as much as I have now and so when I'm eating, I'm like the queen to be on my phone. I have right now I have like three different screens in front of me. And I yes. have a fourth if I wanted to. So um a million tabs. But I, I know for my husband, he really values my undivided attention and he works yes. a lot very hard and long, yeah. long days. So when he comes home and I'm like we're eating dinner together, if as much as I possibly can, I focus my attention on him. And so like those moments catching up, finding out how you're doing, because mm-hmm. I found that sometimes you can just, you know, hey, how's it going? Here's dinner. We eat dinner. Right. We're not really like talking deeply with each other. And mm. so being forced, you know, to be at home together and some at some moments not working. So you like had nothing to do, no place to go, no mm-hmm. ways to fill your schedule um you force yourself to like relearn each other a little bit and so yes I yes i completely agree and what about a thorn what's been a thorn for you um i think a thorn is just like for the holidays like we usually get a chance to go back and see my family in chicago and just like with the covid season like we're not going to be able to do that and that to me i'm just like ah. Oh. Like, it's just so hard. I'm like, oh my gosh, like my family, they're like, like they're, I just want like, like mama food, you know, like just, (laughs) yes, yes. Like my siblings, like being able to see them, like they're, um, like my sister is at college and then my other sister's in Virginia and just like my, 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 um, brothers are at, in Illinois, it's like, I just want to be around everybody. Just like those moments. I, but, but it's like, it's kind of, um, like it is a thorn, but then thinking about like the little things about the holidays that I just like love and appreciate so much, like, like my dad and I, when we laugh, like we cackle and it's ridiculous and it's awesome. <laughs> and just like laughing at like the the most random things and like watching like holiday movies all together. And um, just like those little moments, I realize I'm like, man, I'm going to miss that so much this year. And it does make me very sad. But, um, you know, of course, Brad, my husband being the superhero that he is, he was like, well, how much is it to just get like a private jet and go see them? He was like, I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was like, babe, I looked it up and it was like $13,000. So I don't think we're going to do that. I was like, hey, just give hey. me the $13,000. We will do that If I even thought of doing that, my mom would have been like, girl, you could have just given me the $13,000. Right. Yeah. You better give me that money. But yeah, but, it was very sweet of him to look into it. But <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. I was like, oh, that's so nice. But so that. Yeah, he's great. But just being able to 
um, to Christmas shop for them, I think has been helpful. Cause I'm like, okay, like I can at least try to find some, some nice things. And I had the idea of maybe going on some family trips together when this is over and it's safe. So I'm just grateful for the days that we have each other and we can still call and text. And I'm like, cool, we're all here. We all healthy. Cool. I will take it. So, um, so it's good. I'm going to miss them, but I'm, I'm just glad we're all here and healthy. So I'm grateful. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. Where can people follow along on your story online and in the interwebs? Oh, yeah. So um, for my project that I mentioned, I think I mentioned the title of it briefly. It's called The Pittsburgh Village Project. So on Instagram and Twitter, it is PGH underscore village. Um, so that's my so that's my endeavor. And I do have a website as well. It's um, pghvillage.org. Um, so I just want to, let me double check that. It's been a while since I've been on the, um, on the site, but, um, yes. So definitely go check that out. Um, and then hopefully I can get connected with some people about it. So, yeah. Awesome. I will link all that information in the show notes below so that you could check out if all that the Pittsburgh Village Project is up to. And if you'd like to help out, you can as well. Once again, thank you so much, Tiffany, for being a wonderful guest. And I'm so happy to catch up with you and learn a little bit more about your story. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me and enjoy your holidays. Thank you. Tiffany opened up her heart and soul with us in this episode. And I love the takeaway she's given us. I appreciated her parallel of her work and achieving success in it and how that success wasn't necessarily translating in her desires of starting a family with her husband. I love how she shared how supportive and encouraging he has been for her and how she's leaned into her support network and chosen to see the beauty that lies in front of her rather than the loss she's experienced. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Tiffany and her story and have taken away nuggets for yourself. If you'd like to follow along with her story, and Pittsburgh Village, I will leave their information in the show notes below. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do and share this podcast so that others can hear stories just like Tiffany's. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, have a great day in your own amazing story.